podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Chelsea. Yes, the sun is shining. Everyone's surely going around their business happily, go luckily, round and round the parks. Everyone must be okay, mustn't they? Oh, hold on, we're still in lockdown. And speaking to somebody who's in lockdown just down the road from me, well, quite a way down the road, um, is Mr. Andy Saunders. How are you, lockdown, Andy? Day 22. (laughs) Day 22, the fourth week of lockdown. I'm all right, I'm just bored. Yeah, bored, bored, bored. But you're a person. You're self-employed. You work for yourself all the time. You're always having to drum up business. Or do people come to you and then you work with the business and and drum it up from within the job, as it were? I take quite lucky in the in the sense that I I tend to get people coming to me. So I don't tend to go out there and market myself or tout for business. I mean, it's not a huge industry that I work in, and and you know I've been doing it a long time, so people know who I am. So. You know, that's been good, but I've been paused by so many people, you know, who have just asked me to kind of pause pause our relationship with them um, during this period, which is fine. I totally get it. I understand it. Um, but it does mean that there's not the work out there that I was doing before. Um, I still got a few clients that I'm doing stuff with, and I'm still doing a few uh, bits and pieces on a pro bono basis. You might have seen my Love Record Stores campaign that I was involved in, uh, which was helping out record shops. Um, and then I'm also working with the Music Venue Trust uh, to do some work around saving music venues who are threatened uh, at this time, and, and bits and pieces. Um, but no, not working kind of solidly nine to six like I used to um so yeah lots of hours in the day to fill which I'm trying to do constructively um but you know long periods of boredom if I'm if I'm honest what about you yeah I'm, uh, for me I I'm the complete opposite to you I have to drum up my own business people don't come to me because I guess the way that I work I'm, I'm more of an ideas person I get an idea and then I go and oh, approach accidental partridge accidental partridge what, what was that <laughs> Uh, I'm more of an ideas person. Blue sky, blue sky thinking. I like to bounce a few ideas off the walls, see what happens. <laughs> well, well, believe you me, that's exactly what's going on here. So yeah, okay, uh, I do share a similar similarity with Alan then, but uh, but it is it is kind of like that. I have to just start from scratch from whether it's doing a documentary, whether it's writing a book, whether it's doing a a podcast, whatever. Uh, I have to start with nothing. Blank Mm. sheets of paper, which are always scary, but I I learned very early on, just write something down, even if it's utter tosh. Because Because you were were very unlucky, because you had a really interesting um, documentary lined up with a Swedish company, didn't you? And then then this happened. (laughs) Oh, God. It's even worse than that, in the fact that uh, I went over to Sweden met the uh, the CEO of the company, um, a really interesting design company, uh, have a, a long history of classic furniture, and to, to talk about making a documentary about the history of the company, which has been in the same family for generations. Really exciting. Everyone loved the ideas. I could see real mileage in, in making something of, of real interest. And... Um, 
everything was agreed. We were meant to be going out on the Thursday. The money came through on the Tuesday to the person who was holding the money. So we were one step away from wages and, and getting everything paid for and ready to go. And then lockdown happened. And um, yeah, in a way, I'm glad I didn't get paid because actually there's nothing worse than sitting on to money when you don't know what's going to happen with it. Uh, you know, that's when you start spending it and you don't want to be in the situation where somebody says, yeah, we've decided not to do it. Can we just have that money back? And you go, Ooh. yeah, no on that. That's no fun. And no. Jackie's Jackie's back and, and up and about now. Obviously, she just come out of lockdown when or come out of isolation when we last spoke. So she's now back into the rhythm of things. Yeah, she is. So. So she's now getting out into the garden, doing the gardening. Um, uh, I think we're going to paint the shed. I've been um, I've been cleaning the grouting between the paving stones with my finger because it was the only thing that was really good enough to get about five years of leaves out of the really difficult bits. But I mean, I filled up half a half a dustbin of, of uh, recycling dustbin of leaves and things. So that was satisfying. But I've got a very sore finger. <laughs> Yeah, but look, I mean, people that, that, that kind of, my, my wife loves gardening and we've got a nice garden and she does all the gardening. I hate gardening. I hate gardening and I hate DIY and I hate doing anything like that. So I'm kind of envious of people that are out there with their strimmer and their lawnmower and, and, you know, weeding and seeding and all that stuff because for me, it means nothing to me. I just can't, I just can't find any pleasure or enjoyment in doing any of that stuff. I will absolutely employ a man to do everything for that. So. <laughs> You know, so, so yeah, that kind of feeds back into my, what do I do? Because I don't like doing any of that stuff. <laughs> Maybe you've got to find a way to, to, to grow something that then means something to you. Have a go at just one plant or something or, or a herb or, a, or, or something that you can You can, can bring buy this life. stuff in the supermarket. <laughs> Yeah, why would you want to grow it? Spend three months when you go to Tesco's. Oh, you're such a heathen. I know. I know. I wish I could. I mean, I'm useless as well. That's the other thing. It's not. It's not just a case of not of not liking doing it. I'm just completely dyspraxic when it comes to any level of fixing things or doing things. Or I'm not allowed to have a paintbrush or any kind of power tool because I will injure myself or break something. So. You know, so I'm, I'm, kind of, you know, I'm just basically Netflix. That's it. That's all I can do. <laughs> I know what to get you for your next birthday. Then some power yeah. tools. Yeah, um, absolutely. But, but maybe you should, you should just do something simple, like just grow some watercress. I never understood that at school. I, did you ever have to make uh, grow watercress at school? Yeah. And I thought, why? I hate the stuff. It just gets in the way of a good egg sandwich. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but uh, so, uh, how is the, the the virus news down down where you are? I, I don't know if you you've seen those spurious reports from about a week ago saying that there were issues with people who go running or cycling and that actually they should be keeping more than two meters apart and perhaps it's 10 meters because there's a slipstream of vapors and droplets that are left behind what, what well, did that, you think that makes that makes sense to me it makes complete sense and and i was going and running in my local park and getting annoyed at people who were walking in the middle of the park and just being basically a grumpy old man about it and just you know, just thinking, why can't people move to the side? And, you know, I've ranted about that on here and on social media. So I thought, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to go and find a field somewhere or some woods somewhere where I can have a little bit of space. So, A, I don't get too close to people because I think there probably is something in that. But also so that, you know, we, we don't get into these levels of conflict where it's like, can you just move out the way? Because you don't need that when you're out for a run and people don't want to have arguments at a time like this. So I found this um, decent run near me where I sort of run a little bit on the pavement and then I go into some woods and then I'm off on, onto a field. 
and that's worked out a lot better and I feel a lot a lot better for doing it but you still get the odd person who who just doesn't quite get it doesn't quite understand the two meter thing um so yeah it's better it's not it's not ideal but I do think that you know people are people do seem to behaving be behaving around here certainly out and about on the roads and on the pavements there is the two meter thing and people avoiding each other and not going out and yeah it does seem to be working well, that's good. Uh, and the, the response to the virus on the whole, I, I guess you can only take the advice given by the governments. Now, whether you agree with what the government says or not, and what politicians say or what they don't say, that's another another story. All you can do is go by the guidance you're given. And as we said last week, if you can do a little bit more on top, it won't harm. It'll, it, it doesn't matter what else you do on top. It's just taking the base level of advice and then going with it, isn't it? Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think as well, it's easy to 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 look at the pictures of the news or the you know the very few people that are sunbathing, or you know congregating on a beach or in a playground or something and not adhering to it. It's very easy to look at that and get cross and upset. But when you think that there are over sixty million people in this country and the vast vast majority of them are behaving themselves, following the guidance, and trying to do their best to um, adhere to you know sort of an overall plan. I think if you look at that, that's a really positive thing. And if you look at things like you know clap clap for the frontline workers, there's a lot of things to like and a lot of things to admire about the way we've responded to this. And we shouldn't get hung up on the few idiots and the very small minority that just don't have the brains, the intelligence, or the will to 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 get with the program. Now, I totally agree with you, and I think on the whole, everyone seems to be adhering to it. So, yeah, keep yeah. on going, everybody. Um, Are you missing football? I, I'm not. Um, what? No, I'm not missing football at this moment in time. Um, it's it's a really interesting, I think, philo- philosophical debate. But I think now, yes, I, of course, I miss it. But at this moment in time, because of what we're dealing with. And because of the way everyone's pulling in a, a particular direction, I'm not missing it because there is a purpose as to why it's not out there. It's why yeah, I, know what, it's, I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. In in, in that sense, I, I, you're right. Um, but the you know, I just miss sport generally. I, I just miss watching sport, playing sport. Yeah, actually, I've been living vicariously through documentary series. I mean, there's that yeah, we've talked too. about it that that Australian series, you, you know, the game, which which is the what the test, the test rather, um, the Australian the Australian cricket team. cricket team, which I have to say, did you or did you not end up actually quite liking a lot of those Australian players? Yeah, I did. Oh, I did. I think it's a really, really good documentary. If anybody's never seen it, it's called it's called The Test. It's on Amazon Prime. It's even if you don't like cricket, I think you'll like the drama and the the, the sort of the, the human element of the documentary, which is about uh, in very brief summary, about the cheating scandal that enveloped the Australian cricket team a few years ago when Steve Smith and David Warner and Cameron Bancroft were caught with sandpaper and and tampering with the ball and that caused a massive global meltdown um, in the cricket world and it's about the um, two-year process that the Australian team went to went about regaining a the trust of the Australian public um, but also the redemption of them getting back to being a good test team and it takes in last year's Ashes series and various other things and it's it's a really good behind the scenes profile of you know, high intensity sport. And it's not just about 
cricket or sport. It's about people. That's what I think so fascinating is you have to admire the Australian cricketers to having agreed to take part in this because they're yeah, going... It's warts and all, isn't it? It really is. But actually, they come out of it really well. I think Steve Smith comes out of it excellently. I think he does as well. Yeah. I, I mean, they clearly don't like David Warner, but, you know, it's, uh, he's, uh, he's, a, he's a tricky character. I mean, it is interesting, isn't it? Because they showed... Sorry for you American uh, or, or, or outside the UK uh, listeners who don't care or understand about cricket or even UK people don't care about cricket. But, um, but there, there's a moment uh, over the weekend they replayed the Headingley Test match in full. I don't know if you watched it. I spent um, Sunday watching the entire day three of Headingley in full on Sky Sports, um, which was, you know, six hours of, of, of the whole thing. And it's the Ben Stokes innings where the miraculous best innings ever, where he managed to single-handedly, with the help of Jack Leach at number 11, um, to, to drag England over the line and win win the third test. Um, and what's interesting in the documentary is the post-mortem by the Australian players after that test match, you know, with, you know, talking about when they dropped the opportunity to, to run out Jack Leach and, and all that stuff. It's just, it's fantastically emotional stuff. So well, if you get a chance to watch it, you should. It's great. Yeah. And also the bit where the, the coach, Justin Langer, makes all the players the next morning after they've just lost this test incredibly. And they watch it all men- again. Uh, and they, he makes them watch it. In, and there's the bits where the players involved who make mistakes are just sitting there visibly Nathan shaking. Nathan Lyon. <laughs> uh, but, you know, uh, uh, hats off to him. I think it's amazing. And honestly, it, it's a bit like uh, an- another one in these line of programs like All or Nothing, also on Amazon Prime. I like those All or Nothing ones. With, behind the scenes with American football teams. It doesn't matter yeah. about the sport particularly. Doesn't. It's about the personalities and Did you health. see the All Blacks one? Yeah, that was great as well. Yeah, the rugby one. So we're going to get loads of complaints on Twitter now. People go, oh, I used, to, I used to really like that Chelsea podcast, but I just go and talk about cricket all the time now. Okay, well, now here's even worse. I'll, I'll even mention Sunderland now. Just, oh, yeah, I like, well, I like that. If you haven't seen that, Sunderland Till I Die, that documentary's great. Oh, fantastic. Second series is up now, and it is worth watching. It's brilliant. Uh, again, yeah, the chairman... Uh, what an interesting character from insurance yeah. to running a football club. And he does seem to be saying throughout the series, mm, maybe, uh, maybe, uh, maybe I should do something else, basically. <laughs> that, that girl, that girl, yeah, well, we won't spoil it. No spoilers. No. But, but, you know, it, it is interesting. I mean, I have a certain you know, link with Sunderland. Sunderland's slightly in my DNA because my granddad and my grandma were from Sunderland. And my granddad was a huge Sunderland supporter. Um, and the first game I ever went to was Sunderland Orient. I've mentioned that before. Um, and, you know, it, so I've always had a little bit of me that's looked out looked out for Sunderland. I mean, obviously I'm Chelsea through and through, but I've always kind of so so it's very interesting the Sunderland thing because I had that familial collect, uh, connection with it. But it is a really really interesting documentary, and, and I, I think I said on social media after I'd watched it that you know every Chelsea fan should watch it and count their blessings. Yeah, well, okay. Well, moving on to a little bit more Chelsea-related news. Um, Frank Lampard's come out this this week and said how proud he is of Chelsea's response to the coronavirus crisis. Um, you know, we've, there's been no furlough. Uh, we handed over the Millennium Hotel to the NHS very early on, teamed up with Refuge. Um, the team made large donation to the club's foundation in March before all of this other talk was going on. We've, we've really, I mean, this is great. Great PR for the club if you're looking at it, say, from your angle. But actually, Chelsea have 
been really prominent in connecting with their community, haven't they? Yeah, Chelsea, I think, you know, over the last few years generally have acted with a lot of social responsibility. We were, I think, after Luton, the first team to bring in the minimum living wage or, the you know, the living wage uh, for all workers at Chelsea. Uh, the foundation has raised huge amounts of money for, for local charities. Um, we've always acted with, a, with a, an air of social responsibility. Uh, uh, and I think that, yes, obviously, there's a lot of PR involved in that. And those companies that embrace social responsibility at times of crisis do end up with better brand equity than those that don't. I'm looking at you, Liverpool and Spurs. Um, and, and yes, of course, that's part of it. But you can't help but be proud to support a club that has responded uh, in in such a caring and um, and and empathetic way uh, towards people and towards frontline workers, particularly who are struggling during this period. And it does seem as though Chelsea aren't just doing this to to win points or what have you. I mean, so, some of this stuff almost feels under the radar. They haven't made a fanfare about a lot of it, and that's kind of the difference, I guess, between. You know, p- politicians, you know, m- bigging up what they do. I'm thinking of somebody like Donald Trump, who uh, is just extraordinary at this moment in time, but mm. that's a podcast in its own right. Um, Chelsea, you, you feel as though it's a genuine care that they have for for the community, for the people around them, for the for the less privileged. Yeah. Okay, so also what we what we've been been doing um, is uh, on Twitter. I think you sent out a message to everybody uh, uh, yesterday about if anyone's got any questions for us. So through this issue uh, of the chills, we're going to answer your questions, and I think it's quite apposite to to move on to this first one, which is from Mary, aka MT on um, Twitter, who said we should discuss the life and times of Peter Bonetti, who sadly died this week, didn't he, Andy? Yes, he did. Um, Died at the age of 78 on Sunday. I mean, the word legend is overused in football, um, but I don't think there's any doubt that Peter Bonetti was an absolute bona fide legend at Chelsea Football Club, Um, and it was an incredibly sad loss. He'd been ill... For a long time, he'd had Alzheimer's and had been in a care home for a long time. Um, um, but still, I think whenever such a huge part of our history passes, it, it, it does. It's it's a very affecting thing. It's a it's an odd thing. You're you're right. When when people die from the past, you hear about it from other clubs, and you go, "Oh, that's sad," or what have you. But when it's one of your own, and it's somebody that you've watched playing football in the flesh, as it were. I mean, somebody that. Okay, I mean Peter Bonetti. I've I've got a Peter Bonetti story, which I've mentioned some time ago on the on the podcast. But I don't mind mentioning it again. But for my tenth birthday, um, my my dad, who knew Arthur Askey, the comedian, arranged for me to to go to Chelsea's training ground uh, to meet all the players. And um, a car turned up for me in the morning, and Arthur Askey was in it. And what? He, yeah, it's it's true. Not, I don't know this story. Yeah, you have. You just don't listen. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, Arthur Askey, who is a comedian. I'm going to say you have to explain who Arthur Askey is. He was, he was a comedian, and he was a very small man, smaller than me. Um, uh, he he was a very well known character. Was often down at, at Chelsea, um, seeing games, uh, and 
he knew my dad. My dad arranged for Arthur Askey to come by in a car to pick me and my dad up. I didn't know where I was going. I was just told to wear my my uh, football clothes. And at that time, I had ambitions to be a goalkeeper. And I had the full Peter Bonetti set of shirt, shorts, socks, gloves, hat, the whole lot. You, you um, were hoping to grow a little bit, weren't you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> my, my, as an aside, my, my very first competitive game for my school was at goalkeeper. And my mum and dad, my dad did a drawing somewhere of me just lying face down in mud as the eighth goal went in past Excellent. me. So, your dad your dad was a quite a well-known artist, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. And he knew how to take the piss out of his own son very well as well. <laughs> <laughs> but so anyway, this car turns up and it's Arthur Askey and... Um, um, it, Buzz, buzz, buzz like a honeybee, um, I think, was was his famous uh, music hall song. Um, and he went, oh, hello there. And uh, his, his catchphrase was, hello, playmates. Right. And um, anyway, got in the car with my dad. And I'm going, oh, it's Arthur Askey. And my dad gets in and Arthur says, uh, so we're going somewhere very special today. And I said, where? He said, well, you love Chelsea, don't you? I said, yeah, of course I do. I've got my Peter Benetti outfit on. He said, okay, well, we're going to go and see some football and maybe play some as well. We didn't say anything. We drove and drove and um, got to the ground, uh, the the training ground, and um, got out. And I could see all the players. And I was going, oh, my gosh, there's Charlie Cook. Oh, my gosh, there's Ian Hutchinson. Oh, my gosh, there's Peter Oscar. All of the players were, were training, and they were amazing. I went and met them all, had a kick around with them all, and I took penalties against Peter Bonetti. Amazing. Which, I don't know this story. I must, have, I must have not been on this podcast when you told the story. <laughs> oh, no, it's absolutely true. And I, I scored three against him. I got a hat trick against Peter Bonetti. Was uh, it, yeah, was it, okay, okay, let's just rewind a little bit there. Was it a bit like taking penalties against Stanford the Lion? No, excuse me, this is Peter Bonetti, who was the, <laughs> <laughs> the number two goalkeeper. Was he letting it go through his legs? I, I, no, I, I think first one, top right. Second one, <laughs> top second one yeah, then t- top left, and then a Penenka. Uh, and he said, well, I'm glad I don't have to play you every week, Kel. Uh, nice. uh, no, it, yeah, of course it was like Stanford, the bloody line, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it was Peter Bonetti, and he nice. was so charming. He went that he was just so charming, and they were all charming. I went into uh, at lunchtime. They all went for for lunch in in the um, in the canteen, and I went with them and sat with them all, and and they were just so lovely. It was it was just the most amazing experience, um, and I've still got my autograph book full of all their autographs. Every one of that team was was charming and fantastic, and it was. I, I just have never forgotten that that feeling of it was. I suppose it was a, the first real case of meeting a sporting celebrity. I mean, yeah. I used to stand around and get autographs before games and after games, but this was my first where somebody actually didn't just go, "Yeah, all right." What do you mean, Kerry? What's that? The name of your dog? When you're asking him to sign to Kerry, best wishes or whatever, um, which is what Mick Mills said to me, the Ipswich player, and obviously spelling it right when they yeah. Well, no, my my. My autograph book is full of misspelt Kerry's. <laughs> it, really, it really is. So uh, it, it was the most amazing day, and they were all charming. And Peter Bonetti, I scored a hat trick against him. Um, and yeah, what more can I say? It amazing. was magical, and it stayed with me forever, as it would.
I met him very briefly when he came back to the club um, to to be one of the ambassadors. You know, when Chopper Harris and Ozzy and all those people came back and they were the ambassadors, I, I met him briefly um, in the East Stand reception once. And I mean, just one of those very brief, hello, how are you moments. But, you know, again, he was charming and warm and authentic. Um, so, yeah, no, a very, very sad loss. And what a career, 729 um, appearances, 208 clean sheets, only uh, only bettered by Petacek. Um, you know, FA Cup heroics, uh, League Cup heroics, Cup Winners' Cup heroics. I mean, just amazing. I watched, I don't know if you did over the weekend, they showed the 1970 Cup final in full on the Chelsea website. Um, so I kind of relived um, that. And, and what a performance he put in in that first leg at Wembley. When uh, Eddie Gray was on fire and, you know, just firing him in from all angles. And he was just astonishing. You know, and at five foot ten, just, you know, you, you forget how small he was as well. You know, and, and what a remarkable, what a remarkable goalkeeper he was. Well, that's why they called him the cat, because he, right. he could leap. I, honestly, I, I can remember so many moments where you just go, I just can't believe that. And, and you do. I, I also remember that. 1970 World Cup. Wow, yeah. Which which was one of the the weirdest moments to to have all the country hating a goalkeeper you knew was one of the greatest in the world because he'd made mistakes and he he wasn't well, going to play. Mistake, was he? one mistake. Yeah, well, you, know, well, you could say the first goal. Two. <laughs> the first goal. You know, this is the 1970 World Cup quarter final against West Germany in Mexico. You know, I think Gordon Banks had food poisoning. Is that why he came in? Yep, that's um, right. And then uh, England were 2-0 up, lost 3-2 after extra time. Um, uh, and unfortunately, I mean, I mean, the first goal, it was his, his mistake. I mean, the second goal, I just think you just put down to the other players being knackered because it was at altitude um, and everybody was exhausted. Um, and I thought it was incredibly unfair that he uh, got all that blame. He never played for England again after that. No. That that's absolutely right, but isn't that the way football goes sometimes? Mm. You make one mistake, and then everything is oh well. He could have done better with this. I agree with you. I think there was one mistake, um, and and it is such a shame. It's also such a shame that he was the second to Gordon Banks. It's a bit like Kerry. Well, Dixon. he was. I mean, Gordon Banks was astonishing, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. But it was also a bit like Kerry Dixon being the number two to Gary Lineker. You know, yeah. they were neck and neck for a long time, Dixon and Lineker. And then Lineker ran away before that that World Cup, was it 86 or whatever? Mm. Uh, and in, in all the warm-up games, he suddenly developed into the yeah. player that, yeah, he just went, yeah, he's the number one. And it was the same with Benetti. Um, the, the most fascinating fact that I found out, which I, I did know, I'm sure, somewhere in the back of my mind, which I've completely forgotten, is that Peter Benetti went and lived on Mull. He became a postman. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I just think it's fantastic. Ran a guest house and became a postman. Oh, it's amazing. And he played, I think he also played for Dundee United, didn't he, for a while? I think he played seven times for them, I think it right. was. That was okay. all, and then he retired. Yeah. Yeah, but he was. He's an absolute legend. He but he, was, went into, he went into coaching, didn't he? And he, he actually ended up in, I think he ended up in the England setup doing a bit of goalkeeping coaching with Kevin Keegan, didn't he? And, and um, uh, play at Newcastle, Fulham, City. I think he went. You know, he 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 actually sort of carried on for quite a long time. I think into his sixties, he was he was certainly working in football. 
Yeah, he was. I think I read uh, Chris Kirkland, I think it was, talking about him and how he was the most charming man, but really knew his stuff. And uh, and yeah. talking about England as well, you, we forget that he was in the squad for the 1966 World Cup when England won, um, but he didn't get a medal because they only gave medals to the 11 players on the pitch. But actually, there was quite a big campaign in later years and he was actually awarded um, a World Cup medal. Uh, a 1966 World Cup winner's medal um, later on. Um, so he actually got that in the end for being part of the squad. It's it's a strange old time, isn't it? That those days of yore. If you played, you got a medal. If you didn't, you didn't. It's 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 almost for years. It almost felt like we only had eleven players. I mean, people didn't even realise Jimmy Greaves were in the, was in the squad. It's it's only in recent years we've gone. Hold on. This is a squad game. Well, it actually wasn't in so many ways back then, was it? You had your 11, they played. Maybe if somebody got injured, uh, then somebody else would come in. But but that was about it. One sub. Yeah, exactly. Well, and there were days when there were no subs. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's strange. All right. Well, let's... R.I.P. Yeah, absolutely. Let's doff our cap to a man who is a legend and... I'm sure he was the first goalkeeper who had his own cap for sale as well. Um, <laughs> and it was a he, was the, he was the goalkeeper that really introduced gloves as well. He used to, he used to use gardening gloves, I think, didn't he? As, <sighs> you know, because they, were, they had a, a certain sort of stickiness. And, and um, so for many, I mean, he used to not wear gloves a lot. But when he did, he used to wear gardening gloves. As I say, I had a pair of them. What, Peter gardening Benetti, gloves? <laughs> no, Peter Bonetti gloves. Uh, you know, as I said, I had the full kit. Should, should Peter Bonetti get a statue? Because Ozzy got a statue. Oh, that's a tough one, isn't it? It's these are things that need to be thought about seriously when when I, I'm afraid legends go. Um, then do you start teeing everyone else up? Should Ron Harris get one? Um, He's not dead yet. No, I know, but I'm, ultimately, should we be looking ahead? I, I think Peter Bonetti is a legend. Uh, I think he's well worthy of it. Should John Terry get one one day as well? There's a there, there's a lot of thought that needs to go in if Osgood gets one then maybe that sets a precedent because I think Peter Bonetti served the club so incredibly well that yeah I I don't have a problem I don't have a problem with Peter Bonetti getting a, a statue what about you what do you think oh I think he should yeah I definitely think he should I think if we're giving one to to Peter Osgood quite rightly King of Stamford Bridge then I think you have to look at you know proper legendary players and as I say it's an overused word um, and I think if you look at the very, very, very top of our legendary players, he, he's, he's way up there. Yeah, uh, I'd agree with that. OK, that's it. We're campaigning. Statue for Peter. That's, yep. that's it. End of. All right. Well, look, um, before we go to the break, um, we're just going to quickly slip in um, a first, worst and best, which this week comes from uh, a young man called Nick Biles. Uh, who actually I know, and you'll hear why when we go over to him for his first, worst and best. Hi, this is Nick Biles, Chelsea supporter since I was three years old, my mum told me, standing in the middle of the shed for over 20 years, then the West Stand benches for several more, and finally a season ticket holder in the Matthew Harden Lower since it opened in 1996 sitting in front of Kerry Levy for most of them. Kerry and I have shared many a goal celebration together, and thank you to him and the Chelsea 
for letting me share my first, worst and best. My first game was Saturday, November the 20th, 1971. Football League Division 1 at Sellers Park. Crystal Palace 2, Chelsea 3. Baldwin and Hudson in the first half and Osgood in the second. I was 14 and my dad took me and my friend. We lived in Beckenham, South East London, so Crystal Palace was our nearest club. On the way, we popped into David Gregg's in Penge, where my granddad was the manager. He gave us some sausage rolls to take to the match. In those days, you could just turn up and pay at the turnstiles. We stood on the Homesdale Road Terrace, which is actually the Palace home end. But there were many Chelsea fans there, as well as many more down the other end. We had an excellent view about halfway back behind the goal. It was amazing to see all the Chelsea greats in the flesh. Osgood, Bonetti, Hudson, Hollins, Harris and Cook. I cannot recall Baldwin or Hudson's goals in any great detail as they were down the other end, apart from the roar of the fans. However, the third goal by Peter Osgood was a classic. Right in front of us, just outside the penalty area, he received the ball with his back to the goal. Controlled it on his thigh, swivelled and smashed the ball past John Jackson, the Palace keeper. That and the 1970 Cup final replay header always comes to mind whenever I'm reminded of the King of Stamford Bridge. Moving on to my worst. Saturday, October 4th, 1975. Stamford Bridge, Football League Division 2. Chelsea nil, York City nil. There have been some pretty terrible games over the years, but for some reason this obscure match sticks in my mind. The previous season we'd been relegated by just one point and were hoping for an immediate return. However, following a few reasonable results at the start, it was clear it was going to be a disappointing season. This particular match was abysmal. York City had been promoted from Division 3 two seasons previous and were struggling at the bottom of the table. Going to the match, I thought at least we should be able to beat these and score a few goals. They were a very poor side. The attendance was low. From the shed, it looked less than 10,000 at the time. The game was awful. We had a few chances, but never really looked like scoring. Taking everything into account, this was the worst Chelsea match experience I have ever had. It really felt like we'd reached the pits. And finally, my best. Saturday, May the 17th, 1997. Wembley Stadium, FA Cup final of course. Middlesbrough nil, Chelsea 2. Goals from Dimitao and Newton. I have been fortunate to witness many fantastic matches over many years, but this one at the old Wembley has to be number one. Following the disappointment of the 1994 final and 27 years since our last FA Cup success, the anticipation of this match was very positive, but cautious. Surely this was finally our time. The atmosphere was amazing, the flags, the singing, sunshine instead of rain. What could go wrong? Nothing. We'd only just kicked off. Roberto Di Matteo got the ball from Dennis Wise inside his own half, ran through the middle towards the Middlesbrough goal and smashed it off the underside of the bar and in. We went mental. 43 seconds gone. Only another 89 minutes to go, I said to my mate. 
We played well, but couldn't get a second until 83 minutes. Eddie Newton made a run through the middle and passed to Dan Petrescu, who crossed to the far post, where Gianfranco Zola cleverly backheeled the ball to Newton, who put it in the net. We went totally mental this time. 2-0, seven minutes to go. I turned to my mate and said, I think we might have won it. At the final whistle, pandemonium and jubilation. And that is my Chelsea first, worst and best. Thank you to the Chelsea and keep the blue flag flying high. And we're back. How about, how about that, Andy? The only the chap who sits in front of me. You, you couldn't write this stuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I'm glad to see that, you know, he mentions Bonetti in there. And he did this before that happened. So his first game, he saw Peter Bonetti. But also that game against York City in League Division 2 in the 70s. Yeah. Oh, hideous period. I, all I remember, I'm sure that was the, when they had the maroon shirt with sort of a, a white wire across it. It was like... It's almost like a rugby kit. It was a, it was a very strange thing. Um, mm. Is there any team that you know we've played in the past that you thought, oh, I never thought we'd play you? And I don't mean necessarily FA Cup games, although you can as well. But it, 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 it's some of these games and some of the teams we played. I remember Carlisle in seventy one, seventy two. I think it was to open the season. And I thought, how are we playing Carlisle? Okay, they came up, but it, it was kind of a, a, quite a shock. Mm. Anyone you think of? Well, the one that always sticks in my mind is Blackpool. Uh, when we played Blackpool on my birthday uh, in 1996, in September 1996, and we lost 3-1 at the bridge. Um, and, yeah, that was, uh, that was a, a miserable evening. And, you know, I had a bright orange kit, I seem to remember. Um, but, yeah, you know, you look at those teams, you know, and, and you know, Blackpool were one of those teams, I think, in, in days gone by. who would actually sort of won the league and... You know, had you know had a had a, a sort of glorious storied history, but they were very much on their uppers when they came to us in 1996, but smashed us. Yeah, well, these are the days of misery that we've all been to, and mm. those days of misery though make you enjoy the success that we've had over the years. We Johnny Spencer scored in that game. Ah, uh, we Johnny. Yeah, yes, he was. A, I I love John Spencer. He was he was fantastic. We we had a whole sele- selection of of players that were my sort of height. It was my kind of team. I, I think I could have got into that team as goalkeeper. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, all right. Well, look, we we should go to um, our ad break, and we will be back after this. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. 
And we're back. All right, Andy. Well, look, we've got quite a, a number of questions from uh, from our readers. So here we go. The first one is um, that we're going to do after Mary's one about Peter Bonetti. Stephen Forsyth, uh, rebuilding the ground is now a non-starter. Did we dodge a bullet considering the present crisis? Well, clearly uh, we did. Um, although construction isn't something that has been paused, uh, construction is still underway. So presumably that would have still continued. But I think it would, would have been the whole supply chain issue with a big construction project like that that would have been the issue. Listen, I think the whole stadium rebuilding thing is, you know, is, is a really interesting subject. And I think in in years to come, somebody will look back and do a really interesting piece around you know, how this whole situation occurred. Obviously, there was a you know a load of plans developed. We got planning permission. Uh, Roman Abramovich had made it, you know, the centrepiece of his tenure to build a new stadium. And then suddenly, in the uh, hostile environment uh, under this government, he was denied a visa. He had to go and take a t- uh, Israeli citizenship and go and live over there. It kind of skewed his whole opinion of, of, of you know, investment in the club and investment in, in infrastructure. Everything got put on hold. Then there was a uh, slight financial crisis, which meant that it wasn't a great time to borrow the money or to, you know, to, to, to put in place the financial instru- instruments. And then, of course, this happened. So I think the answer is yes, we dodged a bullet because, you know, we, it would have been even longer out of Stamford Bridge because we were looking at, what was it, three years at Wembley as a temporary home. It would have been even longer. So, um, yeah, I think you have to look back on it and say probably a good thing. Okay, uh, playing devil's advocate, do you care that we don't have a new shiny, brand new, spanking, gorgeous, fabulous 60,000, 70,000-seater stadium, or does it not worry you? Well, um, I'm lucky in the sense that I'm a season ticket holder, uh, and I think you are lucky if you are a season ticket holder. You have to, you have to kind of count your blessings on that one. Um, so my seat at the stadium is assured every season, as long as obviously I pay for it. Um, and I love Stamford Bridge, and I've grown up with Stamford Bridge, and I've you know been through various iterations of Stamford Bridge, you know, in terms of knocking bits of it down and rebuilding it, and um, and you know it is a spiritual home of sorts. Um, so personally, I'm not bothered whether we get a new stadium or not it doesn't it doesn't bother me but having been to Spurs new stadium and seeing what an incredible environment it is to watch football um, in terms of sight lines comfort facilities um, and just grandeur if you get it right and I think they you know much as I hate to say it they have got it right if you get it right it can be quite incredible um, and I think we can fill a stadium of 60,000, 65,000. So, yeah, I mean, I think either way, it works for me. It's a win-win situation. If we don't get a new stadium, happy to stay at Stamford Bridge. If we get a really, really good new stadium, and I really like the plans that they were developed, it's great. So, you know, either way. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I can take it or leave it. It's an interesting point, actually, which will lead us on to the the next question. Of course, season tickets. It's it's about the time we start getting the the letters to to, for renewals, which I guess they can't do for some time. Um, And 
also a lot of people won't be able to afford it at this moment in time if they've not been working. So it's a, it's a really difficult situation. And this leads to Richard Summers's question, which is, should we void the season? Of course, it could be good for us. Um, we've had this conversation. Yeah, we, exactly. We've had this conversation at length. You know, you know my views on it. I think we should void the season. I don't think there's any way that we can finish the season with integrity. So therefore, we should void the season. Yeah, well, it's it, it would be good for us. Oh, okay. How well, but that aside, whether it's good for us or not, I don't think it's good for the competition to be playing. You know, a you know ridiculous either behind closed doors or extending it into next season or basically creating a situation where the next two or three seasons are truncated as a result. I don't think it has any validity. I think we void the season. So, what do you do about things like? Champions League. Do you just scrub it and start with the same teams again this season? Um, I, I would say that the, the Champions League this season has no chance of you know of of finishing. So therefore, I think that's gone. I think it has to. Um, and I think that you need to sit down and figure out whether you yes you either start it with the same teams that were in it this season, or you if you're voiding the season, go back and look at who finished top four. In the previous, I mean, it's like there's there's lots of permutations, and it's not it's not really my job to come up with that. You know, I would probably say scrap it and start with the teams that started this season. Yeah, I, I think that could be the fairest way, but you can just see once all humanity calms down of trying to be nice and helpful and working this out, it will get into a dogfight of litigation, won't it? Everywhere, whatever whatever decisions are made, if seasons don't get completed or cup competitions don't get completed there will be a certain amount of ire and anger from somebody. Cause well, it depends where the buck stops, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess you assume that the buck stops with the Premier League, but it doesn't. Ultimately, it starts with FIFA. Um, and, you know, below that, UEFA, which is the European Confederation of FIFA, um, and below that, the Premier League, and below that, the FA. So there's different tiers of responsibility and hierarchy to go through on this. I think if FIFA or UEFA turn around and say... This is what's happening worldwide, globally. That kind of bends it. That stops it, you know, because they are the ultimate governing body of football. Yeah, uh, I'd agree with that. Okay, moving on to the next one. Um, Noxy asks, "What entertainment could you not live without?" For him, it was music. How about you? I'm kind of well. I'm yes, music. I guess because I'm surrounded by music anyway, professionally, um, and you know, and I love music, and music is always on in my house. Um, so yes, I, I think if you removed music from my life, I'd find it very difficult. I just kind of take it hugely for granted. Um, at the moment, at the moment, I'd probably say social media. I'd really struggle without social media. Um, I mean, would I'm social I'm, media miss you? Yeah, <laughs> probably not. Well, definitely not. No. Um, but, you know, I find social media very cathartic. You know, it's, you know, I mean, Twitter is very combative and gladiatorial at times and can bring out the worst in everybody, including me. Um, you know, and if you express your inner monologue on Twitter, sometimes it can get you into trouble. Um, and it has got me into trouble on occasions. But, you know, I try and be honest and I try and respond to everybody that talks to me and, and, and do it. And I find that kind of conversational element of it really helpful at a time when you can feel a bit isolated. So I'd, I'd probably say social media, whether it's Instagram or Twitter or, or whatever. And I know that's probably, um, you know, that's probably not what most people would call entertainment. But for me, it probably is. I could probably live without Netflix. I could probably live without, um, you know, with all that other stuff. Books as well. I find I read a lot. I'm reading a lot at the moment. And, um, you know, I'd find books a struggle. Okay, what's your tip for... A what about lead? you? 
Uh, oh, I, I, me, it's music because it's part of my work and part of my life is without doubt right alongside books. I, I find it, I, I, if I'm not reading and listening to music, and I love doing both, I, I don't know what I'd do. Books, I, I read books constantly. I, I read a book every two or three days and I read something every day. Um, mm. And um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. You've seen my house. My house is just floor ceiling with books yeah, um, mine is as well as, well as as you know yeah exactly so yeah, yeah I, I i couldn't cope without books and i love books of all kinds I, I love fiction i love biography i like um documentary type things it's um interestingly the book i'm reading which i'd recommend and i'll ask you for a recommendation in a minute um i, I didn't know if i'd like it or not um uh, because i'm i'm, I'm kind of never sure how i feel but i think the times like this i've been sort of looking back at some music there's a lot of great music which i love at the moment new music that's coming out but i also started looking back and i, I started imagining and thinking about music to my childhood and i would say the beatles were a huge part of that i, I haven't grown up loving them and i haven't listened to them for years and i started listening to them again um a few weeks ago and i was going you know this is just great music mm. um and uh I, I started reading a book by Craig Brown called One, Two, Three, Four. And it's a really interesting book. It's, it's sort of a biography, but told through, I guess, what you call vignettes, mm. little stories within the, the, the main story that explains the, the phenomenon uh, which created probably modern music as we know it in so many ways. And I don't just mean musically. I mean the phenomenon uh, of musical superstars uh, and, and really taking on what Presley and people like him had, had done before and taking it into a new arena. And there's a, a great story about how the Beatles and Presley meet each other. They both wanted to meet, meet each other and they were both standoffish with each other. And no, they, they were like bulls sort of stalking each other and just sizing each other up. And it never developed into a friendship or anything. Mm. Whereas somebody like Bob Dylan became friends with Lennon, um, even though they did the, the sizing up of each other and then decided they liked each other. So, yeah, I, I, I think there's... Do you have time for the Beatles in your life? Love the Beatles, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I listen to the Beatles regularly. Um it's funny, actually. I don't. I don't have a lot of Beatles on vinyl. All my, you know, I did have them, and then for some reason I don't have them anymore. And I need to kind of rectify that. So it's actually one of the very few CDs that I still listen to. You know, I've still got a bunch of CDs, and and actually all my Beatles albums are on CDs for some reason. Um, whereas I tend to listen mostly to vinyl these days. I don't know whatever happened to my Beatles albums, but they're you know I don't have them anymore. So I'm going to maybe replace them. Um, but yeah, but no, I still listen to to, to the Beatles um, a lot. I like music books as well. I've just read a, a collection. It's an old book, actually. It's been around for a long time. A collection of Nick Kent's writing called Apathy for the Devil. Yep. Uh, Nick Kent was an enemy writer back in the 1970s and a brilliant, brilliant writer. And it's a sort of collection of his crazy interviews with people and journeys and, and adventures and uh, well worth seeking out if you're, a, if you're a music fan of that period. Yeah, I, I'd agree. It's a, it's a brilliant book. And mm. he's a great writer. There, there's a, I'm, I'm so glad that some of these music writers especially from our times of growing up and 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 things are putting together collections of their work for people to to rediscover uh, much in the same way that music can be rediscovered is there anything you've rediscovered in the last few weeks that you've gone back to think oh i haven't heard this for years i sometimes when i go running 
um, I'll just put Spotify on and just hit, you know, the 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 um, uh, you know the, the algorithm that says you know selected for you, and then I'll just put it on and just go running just to have something in my headphones to cover up my ragged breathing, basically. Um, and yeah, a bunch of bunch of kind of old punk stuff came on. Um, things like the Dead Boys and um, you know, Steve so Baters, Steve Baters, and all all that kind of stuff came on, and and it was just it was uh, things like the Members, you know, Sound of the Suburbs, so, oh, um, you know, and, and some some really great stuff that some for some reason the Spotify algorithm had decided I would like, and I remember running around thinking this is brilliant, it sent me back to being fifteen, sixteen again. Oh, the suburbs, it, it Sound of the Suburbs, yeah, same old like- boring Sunday morning, morning. old yeah. man's out washing the car. Uh, it's brilliant you know th- these are mums in know, the kitchen cooking sunday dinner oh no i love it it was it's kind of that power pop wasn't it that that Mickey was that, tesco yeah absolutely just some great names absolutely yeah, yeah. great names but um yeah cool okay right next question is um okay we have william watts if you were the manager what is your starting 11 if everyone is fit it's a good question it's a really good question, William. Um, we and I, really to think, so I had to think about this one. I had to think <laughs> about this one. So who wants to... Shall I go first? Yeah, go on. Well, I'm you're going to shout that, at me. Well, I'm going to assume that you're going to go... We're going to go 4-3-3. Three, three. Yep. So I've picked a 4-3-3 three, three formation. Um, uh, I, I don't think you can look past Kepper in goal. I mean, it's... Yes, I mean, I don't think he's had the, the greatest of seasons and who knows whether he'll be here next season. But at the moment, if we're talking about players that we have available at the moment, um, then I would put Kepper in goal. I'd go with Rhys James at right back. Fully fit Rhys James. Um, I'd go with the centre-back pairing of Rudiger and Tamori. And I'd go with Alonso at left back. So there is no place for Azpilicueta in my defence at the moment. Um, my midfield would be Mount, Jorginho and Kovacic. And up front, I would go for a fully fit Hudson-Odoi, a fully fit Pulisic and Tammy Abraham. There is no room for Kante in my team at the moment. So my subs would be Kante, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Billy Gilmore, William Zuma, Azpilicueta and Caballero. Okay, um, that's interesting. Um, well, okay, I'll read mine out first, and then we can discuss the merits. Mm. For me, I, I'm with you. I think Kepper will be in goal. I think he'll be here next year as well. Okay. Um, I've also gone for for James, uh, and then I've gone a central pairing of Zuma and Tamori, mm. and I've gone for Aspi at left back. Because okay. I've, I've gone the four three three. Any other formation, it would be Alonso all day long. Um, but then Aspi would go into a, a back three. But we'll, let's not go there. My midfield, I too have left out Kante, um, and I've gone for Kovacic, Mount, and Loftus Cheek. Mm, no uh, Jorginho. No Jorginho. Okay. I, I think. Right, we'll you, discuss it when you've read yeah, the team. Okay, and then up front. I would like to pick Hudson-Odoi if he's fully fit, but I still think he's got a lot to prove. So I've gone for William, Abraham and Pulisic. Okay. That's, that's so let's talk mind. about no Jorginho, first of all. Okay. I believe Kovacic has shown enough of what he can do that I think he could be the mainstay of that midfield. I think he's a kind of player that we could 
build a side round. And I still don't think we've seen the very best of him yet. And I think he might shine even more if he is the man who holds that whole midfield together. I think he's got the experience. I think he's got the nous. I think he's got the skill. But he doesn't score that many goals. Even in his best season, I think, for Real Madrid, I think he scored seven goals. Or was that? No, Milan. He scored seven goals. So he's not going to score you a lot. So for me... I don't see him and Jorginho being able to play. Uh, one of them. Do you see play. them as similar players, uh, Jorginho and Kovacic? Hmm. I, I, yeah, I think I think Kovacic has been a little bit of a water carrier for Jorginho at times, and I think actually he's probably got enough about him to to actually take that position himself. Because those three that you've chosen are very yep. similar in some ways. They all like to get on the front foot. They all like to move forward. So you talk about Mount. Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Kovacic, there's nobody holding that. There's nobody putting their foot in in the midfield. They're all looking to go forward. Yeah, but I think that's what Kovacic can do. I think he can do. So you that. wouldn't, you wouldn't, you'd, you'd play him as a as a holding player. I'd play him as the holding player who starts really? everything off. Yeah, and I mm. think I think Mount and Loftus-Cheek could be disciplined enough that they can drop back if Kovacic goes on one of his dribbles because also he dribbles more than any other player. So I know what you're saying. It's a bit risky. But there's I think no, yeah, good. there's there's no defensive mindset there. Well, I th- yeah, but I think Kovacic can. If you look okay. at his no, no, defensive, it's your it's your yeah. it's your team. I'm not, you know, that's fine. I'm just I'm just sort of you know interested in. I mean, the the the, the thing is, neither has picked Kante. No, and is I, that because of the system? I mean, for the, it was because of the system for me. I think if you were playing four in midfield, I'd definitely pick Kante. But when you know when you're picking three in midfield, I'm just looking at, at, at Lampard's mindset. He likes four three three. If you're playing four in midfield, um, or even if you're playing four one four one, you know then then I think you've got to have Kante in there. I just think it's very difficult unless you're going to put him instead of Jorginho or Kovacic. In your case, it's very difficult to put him in there really at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, that that's my point. I, I think if you played. With a back three, Kante gets in every time. And he's, it's bizarre, because he's clearly our best player. Yeah, but not in this system. But not in this system. Uh, so so yeah. what do you do with a problem like Kante? Do you sell him? Yes. Or do you well, change the system to accommodate him? Well, I don't... Th- I think it suits 11 other players, this system. And the other way perhaps suits one player. So when Zayek comes in, does he solve the hudson Adoy William issue? Yeah, I think he comes in he comes in place in on, of, of on William, the right and then Hudson Odoi has to fight for his his place. That's how football should be. And what about Billy Gilmore, who's who's had such an incredible, you know, sort of start to his career and and really impressed before all this kicked off? Is there any place for him? If there is, it'll be in place of Kovacic. So right. I think that's where that battle not uh, Ru- is. not Ruben Loftus Cheek. No, I think because Ruben Loftus Cheek is not done anything for a very long time why 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 does he come straight in in your opinion because i think he marauds in a way we're talking about if they're fully fit no, 100%. I understand. I understand. yeah i i think i think ruben has something about him that no one else does i right. think he's got a strength i think he's able to bully players i i think he's got the intelligence to take the role which allows him to maraud i think mount will be a perfect lieutenant to ruben uh, and I think they're young enough to understand what the manager wants from them in particular situations. You know, older players, it's very hard 
to get them to do things a different way. But Mountain Lofters Cheek will listen to their manager, will listen to the way that he tells them to play, and I think they are adaptable. And we've seen Mount move around the pitch. We've seen Loftus Cheek in his career at Chelsea change into different places, and he, on the whole, doesn't let us down. But mm. his fitness is a major issue for me. So if he's 100% fully fit, I think he does walk into that side. Um, and we'll, we'll see. Um, it's interesting that both of us pick Abraham. Um, that would be very interesting to see if we try and buy somebody else to be competition for him, how he fares. I didn't under- even have another striker on the bench. I didn't even have Giroud or, or Batshuayi on the bench. Yeah, well, I, I can understand you know, and, I, that. and that's that's harsh on Giroud because I think he's actually done very, very well. Batshuayi, I've got no time for, frankly. I think it's time for him to move on. But I think that um, that Giroud, in my substitutes um, situation, I think it's harsh. You picked uh, Zuma over Rudiger. Yeah, I did. Uh, I, I haven't, as I've said, I haven't been impressed with Rudiger since he came back from injury. Now maybe it's just he's in the middle. Well, of... We're talking about fully fit players at their best here. Yeah. I still don't think he's up there for me. Um, better, what, not, he's, you don't think he's better than Zuma? I, I prefer Zuma's game. Oh, okay. I, I enjoy the way he plays. And I think he that first game against Man U when he was awful, it could have been the finish of him. You know, People mm. were writing him off straight away. And he got better. And he came back and he played well. And I think Frank's managed him really well. And I, I do think he offers something that's very different. I think he's so powerful in the air as well. And we don't have anybody quite like him in the air. So, yeah, I, 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 I'll, I know it's contentious, but that's, that's, my, that's my 11. Good. Okay. Interesting. Thanks, William. Appreciate yeah. that. Excellent. All right. And then the final question is Tim Rolls. Young Tim Young writes, Tim. In, writes <laughs> in and asks, who is buying up all the yeast? Oh, that's me. I've already told him that. <laughs> well, I've said to him, I'm, 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 I'm making a run on Bake Off this year. You know, I'm, I've decided that's one of, my, one, of my, one of my lockdown targets is to win the Great British Bake Off. So I've bought all the yeast. I'm sorry, Tim. Well, you know what? There is an obvious answer to this. Just go and make soda bread. All you need is 170 grams or 6 ounces of self-raising wholemeal flour, 170 grams or 6 ounces of plain flour, plus some, of course, for the dusting, half a teaspoonful of salt, half a teaspoonful of bicarbonate of soda, and then 290 millilitres or 10 fluid ounces of buttermilk. And I tell you, you can't go wrong. I'm not going to explain how to do it for you because it's so obvious, but it's a fantastic bread. So many carbs anyway. You You want to stay away from those carbs, Tim. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't even eat bread anymore. Yeah. So, yes. Right, look, uh, we are running out of time, but we should, of course, go over to Mr. Naz Kinsella, who's got his latest report for us. Hi, guys. Nizar Kinsella here, Goals Chelsea correspondent, reporting for the Chelsea. Um, just sort of giving you an update. Uh, you might have hear, heard just then my WhatsApp ping uh, because that's kind of where the predominant uh, nature of my work's being done uh, lots of messages between contacts and stuff um amid this coronavirus crisis you know staying at home as a reporter makes it a little bit hard to re- harder to report uh, and get into these and do things but we try we carry on and uh, yeah whatsapp um zoom all these other apps is, is the place it's happening um 
kind of from the Chelsea uh, and, and Premier League point of view. Uh, lots of clubs are a little bit um, sheepish about giving too much access away to players because um, they're quite careful about what the, those players might say about the various negotiations going on on wages, taking pay cuts, um, you know, the the TV money as well, a big problem and the scheduling issue and, and transfers as well. Um, all of it affected badly by the coronavirus crisis. So, um, yeah, I think that there's a bit of caution around that and, and what managers can say and what players can say. Um, but, yeah, there's a lot of good, positive things being happening Happening behind the scenes, the players have come together to donate money to the NHS. Those heroes doing great work, um, getting money from you know a very well-paid footballers, which can only be a good thing. Now, um, that's not the end of the discussions around pay. Um, clubs are going to want some of that money back, and and that's what's going on. That's what I'm keeping an eye on. Uh, that kind of political situation uh, that's going on at all clubs. Um, yeah, we might find something out this week, but. Yeah, I'm doing that kind of reporting, getting in touch with the club and stuff and doing, uh, you know, just um, keeping keeping tabs on everything around that. Uh, transfers as well, moving very slowly, but one or two things happening. Um, yeah, lastly, uh, I, I've had a few interviews as well, which is kind of what I'm trying to focus my time on because I have this long list, almost like a transfer target list of, of like interviews that I want to do. And uh, yeah, I've kind of been pursuing a lot of them, ex-players. Um, and, and I'm trying to talk about the academy a lot as well, give give it the credit it deserves in a time when, you know, we've seen so many young players come through. So um, I interviewed AD Vivash recently, who coached at Chelsea's academy. He coached two FA Youth Cup wins. Of course, Chelsea won five in a row, uh, unprecedented number since uh, the Busby Babes, Manchester United did it all those years ago. Um, so incredible achievement and Vivash was at the heart of that. He's also won two UEFA Youth Leagues, which no English team has done except Chelsea, and he managed both of those successes. So um, I was looking at the list of players he he managed, and it was Tammy Abraham, Mason Mount, Andreas Christensen, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, but then also ones who've departed Chelsea, Dominic Solanke, Nathan Ake, Jeremy Bogan, Nathaniel Shalabar. So I've interviewed him, and it's fascinating, and I would like to point you to that, really. But, uh, yeah, a few more interviews to come as well, and uh, a lot of interesting pieces, getting creative, and hopefully entertaining people during this crisis stay at home and stay safe cheers guys and we're back so yeah naz is carrying on doing his stuff it's quite interesting hearing about the fact that it's hard to talk to current players at the moment probably because clubs are worried they're going to say the wrong thing and and talk about wages or contracts which which is a huge contentious area once once this is all settled down there's going to be shenanigans aren't there yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a really tricky period all around. I mean, you talked about litigation earlier, um, you know, and all this idea that the players have been asked to take pay cuts. That there's a lot of contracts coming to an end on June thirtieth. That that you know the transfer market presumably is still going on, and you know clubs are in financial trouble. They might have to sell to pay the bill. I mean, it's just going to be, um, you know, it's going to be a uh, really uh, you know, a really, really interesting time for everybody. Yeah, and uh, but I, I must say, Naz talking about um, his interview with Ad Vivash, who coached the the youngsters at Chelsea. Uh, that's up on Gold dot com right now, and you should read it because, of course, Vivash, what what a record with the academy! You know, five youth cups in a row, two UEFA leagues. It, it has been incredible, and there is still a procession of youngsters to come, isn't there? Yeah. 
It's um, you know it's an amazing academy, and it's great that Frank is now bringing these players through, and and finally after so many years, decades, we we currently seeing the fruits of, of, of having a strong, vibrant um, and well-coached academy system. So big respect to all those people, Jody included, um, A.D. Vivash, you know, Duncan Drummy, uh, Dermot Drummy, who sadly passed away. You know, those th- those core team of players, Brendan Rogers to a degree as well, you know, who was part of the academy setup. you know, that, that brought a lot of those players through, that identified the, the structure that we needed to put in place and have, you know, created a real powerhouse of an academy that hopefully we'll see as well for years to come. Yeah, do you remember that series on Sky with Neil Bath with all the youngsters years ago and Search for a Star, I think it was called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, you can, I, I'd love to go and watch that again and see... It's probably on YouTube somewhere. Yeah, I'm sure. See who was in that squad because I, I can't really remember but there was a, it was a really fascinating program and, and and Neil Bath and his team what what amazing job they've done yeah right well look we're, we're just about out of time um there's just one last thing that I'd like to to say uh is congratulations to Luca Viali who's got the all clear from pancreatic yeah cancer. great I mean great news at a dark time for you know for Chelsea fans after the death of Peter Bonetti this week for, for Gianluca um, you know, to, to be given the all clear for, you know, for, for his aggressive cancer that he had. That's an amazing, amazing story to lift us all. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're out of time. Um, thank you, as always, Andy, for being here. Um, thank you as well for, for, to, to Nick Biles for his uh, first, worst and best. Thank you to Naz, as always. And thank you all for taking part and, and coming up with questions. And we'll keep in touch on social media. If you've yeah. got any thoughts for next week, anything you want to hear, just let us know. Because we're, we're here to have a rabbit. And hopefully you can survive with us mentioning things like cricket. But, yeah, um, thanks ever so much, Andy. It's been great. Uh, I hope your week carries on and isn't too boring for you. Yeah, brilliant. And if you do want to follow us on social media, it's uh, at Chelsea Podcast on Twitter. Uh, it's uh, at the Chelsea Podcast on Instagram. You can follow uh, me at uh, at Mr A Saunders uh, on uh, Twitter and at One True Saunders on Instagram. And Kerry, what are you? I'm at Kerry Levy, C-E-R-I-L-E-V-Y, on Twitter, and at Kerry Levy 1 on Instagram. For some reason, it said at Kerry Levy was taken. I don't know who by. It doesn't exist, but there you go. All right, Andy, cheers as always. Cheers, mate. And we'll catch up next week. This is a Playback Media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at chelseapodcast.net. Sports Social Podcast Network.